0: I'm dedicating this message to our shine kids and even the toddlers in our nursery who are, because of the faithfulness of their mom and dad, teaching them the scriptures and our children's ministry leaders teaching the scriptures to the young. I dedicate this message to you because at some time in your future, I'm believing that the voice of the Lord will whisper to your ears as he did Samuel. I'm dedicating this message to every parent who will dedicate themselves to continue to stitch an ephod, a priestly garment for your children. And as they grow and grow, you will measure their life based on the priestly call of God for them as men and women who rise up in our land. I dedicate this message to Pastor Ken Owen, who was the first preacher that I sat under as a 18-year-old kid that was never afraid to preach the truth in love but with boldness. I dedicate this message to him. I also dedicate this message to my pillar family, my brothers that we've been meeting together with until the last few weeks since September, every Sunday night. I have this for you. Look with your eyes, hear with your ears, fix your mind on everything I will show you, for you were brought here that I might show this to you. Faith over fear. We're going to go to Psalm 46 in a moment. I believe this series is timely. And uh, we are living in fearful times. There is a pandemic. We're all aware of that. But locally, the increase in cases has been astronomical. But more personally, we have dear friends, as I've already mentioned, who are not only hospitalized, but fighting hard for their very lives. If that's not enough, the political stuff with possible trouble regardless of how this thing finally pans out. Almost probable trouble. And if that's not enough, if that's not enough, there are those hidden fears that we all have at times, right? No matter who we are. And if you're like me, you try to coach yourself up in your battle against fear. Maybe you say to yourself what FDR told us, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. But as my stepdaughter would add, And thousand leggers, right? Here's a great one. Fight your fears and you'll be in a battle forever. Face your fears and you'll be free forever. I get one of those morning quotes and then I go out the door, I head out, and I walk right into a spider web and I get my ninja freak on in front of my next door neighbor, right? Great man of lack of fear and courage. It's hard, right? It's hard. There are fearful things, Someone said, fear is the dark room of your life where all your negatives get developed. That's true. But you know what? Posts and quotes, they can help for a period of time. But I want to talk to you about something greater, something better, something more powerful. I want to talk to you about someone greater, someone better, someone more powerful. I chose Psalms for this whole series And I chose Psalm 46 today. Kyle Yates, in his comments, says this psalm begins a trilogy, three songs, 46, 47, 48, that celebrate somewhere in the history of Israel a great deliverance by God. Now, we don't know exactly when this took place, but a lot of scholars kind of come together and believe that possibly it was the time when the Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem and King Hezekiah knowing he was outnumbered, caught on God in all humility with the prophet Isaiah, strengthening him with his words from heaven. You can read about this in 2 Kings 17 and 18. Spoiler alert. In one night, God sent one angel and slaughtered 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That'll get your songwriting vibe going right there. Something else that's special about Psalm 46, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was inspired to pen, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, from this psalm. And that song that Martin Luther wrote is a hymn that's been treasured through all the centuries. Look it up. Great words. So let's read Psalm 46 together, wherever you are. Fill your house with God's voice this morning, right? And if you are a Bible scholar and you're listening to this podcast, driving somewhere, you've got it memorized. Just say it out loud with me, right? If you're at your, in your office, right? Whisper it. Wherever you are, let's connect to the Word of God. Here we go. Psalm 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. It's a Hebrew Word choice placed in a song to get you to stop right there and just consider the lyric you just listened to, Selah. Then he goes on, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the habitation, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts, hosts means angelic armies. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought brought desolations on the earth." The world is shaking, but we need not fear. The world is shaken, but our faith can be unshakable. We can live above our fears with what's going on in the world by our faith in God. Verse 2 says, therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He's describing a shaking world, hyperbole here, right? Yes. The biblical writers and the prophets at times would look at the present circumstance and speak in exaggerated terms to make a point. Sometimes it can seem like the whole world is crashing down. But is this passage only hyperbole? No. No. The earth has been shaken and will shake again, literally. Jesus said near the times of the end, there would be earthquakes in many places. The world wars of the past century, think about it. What did the people in England think during the Blitzkrieg, the bombing of London? Nagasaki and Hiroshima, as men and women rose up in the morning to go to work, it had to seem like the end of the world to them. After the bombing of Baghdad in the Gulf conflict, thousands of Iraqi soldiers just dropped their weapons and surrendered to our troops simply because the Moab bombs literally rained terror down on their heads. When the world seems to be shaking during significant political, cultural, or economic shifts, when great conflict hits the nations, and there is trouble beyond trouble, raging in the world, what the psalmist says says, is that even if it's the worst of the worst and the mountains are slipping into the sea for real, God's people can live in faith over fear. You say, how? Not there yet. Not there yet. This passage tells us that the sinful revolt will increase, but we will not fear. Verse 6, The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. David asked this question. Simon Peter realized they were living in the fulfillment of it, and so are we. Why do the nations rage and say, we will throw off the chains of the Lord? Why is it that the world continues to spiral out of control Man's destiny will not be peace and tranquility for time in and time out. Why? That three letter word, sin. And the sinfulness in the hearts of human beings of every race, every nation, rich, poor, the intelligent, and the rest of us. The Bible says sin is lawlessness. And Jesus said, the lawbreakers will abound. The Bible uses Babylon as a metaphor from Genesis 11 all the way to Revelation 17 to describe humanity seeking to make a name for themselves and establish their own society based on their own rules. They will even welcome religion. As long as the God, in quotes, is an image and reflection of what seems right to them. Any God like that who will come and unite with Babylon is welcome. A place of unity that is godless, where man does what's right in his own eyes. One of the songs of Babylon is sung in Times Square, New York City, every New Year's Eve, penned by John Lennon. Imagine Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell. There's no hell. Babylon won't tell you about that. No hell below us above us only sky. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Here's my version. Imagine there's a heaven. It's easy. Open your eyes. A hell below. Don't go there when you die. Imagine all the people deceived into a false peace. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us before the world is done. Trust me, nobody loves John Lennon more than T. McGee. But not all inspiration in art and music comes from the wellspring of heaven. There are other voices speaking to the geniuses and the brilliant artists and influencers of our age and every age. You know, sometimes, as Bob Dylan says, Satan comes as a man of peace. The goal of the globalists of the world, whether sincere or insincere, the idolatrous, delusional belief that man is inherently good and has the ability to evolve and come together and create a utopian society, even after two cataclysmic wars, they still buy it. If after a president gets his head blown off in Dealey Plaza by a murder most foul, they still buy it. Even after Dr. King used by God to show the way shots ring out in the Memphis skies. Even after the towers fall on 9-11 and the world says we'll build bigger and better towers. You say, wait, Pastor Tim, Christians should not. We seek, doesn't the Bible say seek peace? Yes. And the betterment of society? Absolutely. Jeremiah even told the people who were captive in Babylon, work for the prosperity and the peace of Babylon. I get it. Every single day. Yes, we should. But peace without the prince of peace will never last. You can write that down if you want. And there's actually no peace at all. For how can an anti-Christian society end up in long-term peaceful prosperity? History proves that's not true, and future will prove past. I want to read a passage from a book I just discovered. I'll hold the title to the end. Here's a passage from it. By the start of the 20th century, Churchill found himself out of step with conventional political wisdom attitudes about war, and what it could accomplish were bound up with a singular overarching idea, progress. Perhaps the most widely view in the years leading up to the Great War, World War I, was that Western civilization was marching an extra bully forward. Humanity was maturing, evolving, advancing. The new vistas of political, cultural, and spiritual achievement were within reach. And the thinkers and writers who informed the generation of Tolkien and Lewis were certain which direction mankind was headed, pre-World War I. Their confidence in human progress led many to believe that with the help of modern technology, wars could be fought and won with minimal cost in life and treasure. Rational Europeans would be no longer indulging in the kind of extended and brutal campaigns of previous wars as in the days of the Napoleonic War. There would be tidy wars if war at all. The belief in progress led others to argue that the West would soon dispense with war together as a remnant of a primitive, unenlightened epoch. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis, were part of a generation of Brightons who equated their nation's growth and prosperity with the progress of civilization itself. That's from the chapter, The Funeral of a Great Myth, in the book, A Hobbit, A Wardrobe, and A Great War, how Tolkien and Lewis rediscovered faith, friendship, and heroism in the cataclysm of 1914 to 1918. Jesus said that as time rolls along, you can bet on it, lawlessness will continue, and because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will wax cold. Friend, the delusion of the world system is that the world can create peace and prosperity while having a subtle enmity or a hostile one against the ways of the only true living God. The Lord during this time, has provided grace to this wicked world for a period. It's called the times of the Gentiles. And it will come to an end. The wicked have no idea how gracious and merciful God is be- I say wicked. The wicked have no idea how gracious and merciful God is being to them right now. You know why? Because of sin, it blinds you. He has a church on the earth, all over the world, who is still holding out hope to a lost and dying world, that there is a Savior, His only Son. The church is, even in its limited or maybe weakened capacity still, a force that brings preservation in the world, even to those who don't know it, even to those who want to get rid of it. Listen, if the rapture is pre-trib, that's when you'll find out how much of a sanctifying power the church has been in the world. Because if it's lifted off this earth pre-trib, all hell is going to break loose. The only reason all hell hasn't is because God's people are here on a mission to be salt and light, to preach the gospel and live the gospel. Because in this time, listen, God has ordained others who were and are what I used to be, lost without hope, without God in the world. This passage, the nation's rage, the kingdom's totter. William Van Gemmeren, in his great commentary on Psalm 46, says, notice the change from a hymnological perspective in a psalm to an eschatological perspective from verses 6 through verse 10. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, he brings desolations on the earth. Talk about judgment. Why? He's going to make war cease. So earth and nations can shake. They can rage and riot and increase in lawlessness. But the psalmist says that it can seem that the foundations of your feet have literally been removed. Then, like every true prophet of old, the psalmist says, and what every man of God should always do in any message is point souls to where this life without God is really going. As Paul did on the Areopagus, Mars Hill, in Athens. After he described the marvelous mercy and grace that was being offered to all nations, he reminded them, there is coming a day when God will judge the world in righteousness by the one he has raised from the dead. So, how do we then live? How can we live in faith over fear? Verse 1 tells us, the Lord is with us. We will not fear. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Verse 7, the Lord of angel armies. If one angel can slaughter 185,000 Assyrians, how about multitudes of them? And you know where angels are? They're where God is. And where is God? God is in the midst of us. Come on, somebody. The Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob. The word God in the Hebrew, Elohim. It's the general term used by, by the biblical writer in Genesis 1, Elohim. God, it means the ultimate authority. It means the ultimate power. And I love this. It says, God is, not was. God is. Never forget. Never forget, friend. God is. And then he uses three descriptions. He is our refuge. Not just for the great believers, but even for the least, the weakest, to the strong. God is our refuge. Fear leaves when you know you have a safe place. Our safe place is not in a place. It's in the strong arms of Elohim who reigns over all. He's also called our strength. We don't run to a refuge and find a place where we can continue to tremble in overwhelming fear. No! We run to a place and find not only a refuge, but one who gives us a power of endurance a stronger will, and even a courage to face the storm and actually go out into it to see what we can do to help others. God is our strength. Three, a very present help in trouble. He's not just here. He's helping. He's not only called the God of heaven's angelic hosts. I love this. He's called, and I love this, the God of Jacob. Do you know who Jacob was? Before God humbled him and broke him and called him Israel, prince with God, he was Jacob. His name means supplanter. And even after Jacob becomes blessed after being broken and becomes a prince with God, he still had the Jacob side. How about you? I found out someone came along with me in, 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 in a certain dimension after Jesus came into my heart and saved my soul. The old T. McG, the old Jacob in me. Look, not just me. Raise your hand if you understand what I'm talking about. The old Jacob comes along. You know what God did? God beat Jacob in a wrestling match and knocked his hip out of socket. So the rest of his life, Jacob, in order to walk as a prince, would have to lean on his staff. He never forgot it. Don't forget, we have nothing that's anything that wasn't given as a gift from God. Jacob, our God is with us to the least to the greatest. We can be strong in Him, but fragile in ourselves. We need to always remember that. Stay broken and humble. But He's that close. He's breaking down things. He's not interested in breaking you down unless you need to be a very present help in trouble. So you say, well, but why does God allow evil and trouble to go on? Why don't you just stop it? Answer. Because there are still lost souls in the seas that will take, there's people out there who will take the helping hand when the gospel ship comes cutting through the turbulent waves of this crazy world. Why doesn't he stop it all? Because while all that's going on, God is doing something in the world. You ready for me to preach? When the Pharaohs thought they were God, God came down and delivered his people. When the Babylonians tore down God's temple and took people captive, God raised up a Daniel. God raised up a Ezekiel. God raised up a Jeremiah. When Alexander the Great, who died at 32, thinking he was king of the world, was reigning and spreading his empire, God was working. He used the Hellenistic culture, the Koine Greek language, the common language that Alexander people spoke to make it the universal language of the world, to prepare the people to be able to understand the message that was about to be birthed in the world, to ring out to the north, the south, the east, and the west. And during the Caesars, God literally came down in Emmanuel. Jesus was born. And Jesus, God's Emmanuel, sent out his apostles on the roads the Romans built to connect and network the entire world who were speaking one language, and when they preached the gospel from those Roman roads, the kingdom of God expanded to Samaria, beyond Judea, even to the ends of the earth, the Roman Empire, even in the Caesar's household, and among the soldiers, even the Praetorian guard. Where is God? He's on the move. Right. Courageous pilgrims escaping persecution were the first to sail the treacherous Atlantic seas to find a refuge in this land. And in the sovereignty of God and by the hand of his great providence, he raised up a nation and set principles in motion which John Adams said could only truly be lived out by a godly people. This nation was birthed, and as long as this nation has imperfectly kept the purposes of God in the forefront, God has shown his grace upon her and has kept foreign boots off our soil. The only time there's been a war, it's been a war from within. I fear the lawlessness that's increasing. I don't have much power over what's going on in the midst of the lawless. But one of the reasons, and there are many, but one of the reasons has to do with the weakness in the pulpits of the United States of America. Weakness. But also, people are seeking to remove ancient boundary stones. I fear that while good men have slept and are sleeping... The enemy has sown wicked seeds in high places. Question Will our nation turn toward Babylonian principles or find, like those that King Josiah sent to inquire from a prophetess, they found the scrolls of the book of God and they brought it back to King Josiah and he trembled, understanding that they had broken ancient boundary stones or under judgment? And Josiah called on a nation to repent. That's why I've dedicated this message to the kids, to the Samuels and the Debras and the Esters that I believe God's going to speak to and make your ears tingle. Who will lead the way? And who will follow who? It was at another time of crisis in our nation that God used a president to create at this time of year, Thanksgiving in 1863. A call to come back to God by proclaiming Thanksgiving as a set time for our nation. Timely words. Imagine them being spoken by a president of the United States today. Abraham Lincoln, date, October 3rd, 1863, just a little bit of it. He said, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added which are of such extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, listen to Lincoln. No human counsel hath devised nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God. Imagine a president declaring that there is a Most High God today. While he is dealing with us in anger for our sins, he is remembering mercy nonetheless. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with, listen to this, this isn't Babylon, as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise. Listen, I'm sorry, but he didn't say Brahma, and he didn't say Allah. To our beneficent, Father who dwelleth in the heavens, in testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed. In the year of our Lord, even saying that, in the year of our Lord, 1,863, and of the independence of the United States, President Abraham Lincoln. Listen, they were in the Civil War. Listen, listen, listen. With the, in the midst of racism, all that stuff, listen. The gospel had had such an impact that even though the nation was divided, a president knew where to turn, who to turn to, and who to call the nation to. Imagine such a thing today. I want to zero into verse five. You got a minute? I'm going to take my liberties. Spurgeon always says somewhere in your text, the preacher must always be conscious to lead the hearer to the gospel. Well, here we go. The morning has come forever in Jesus. We need not fear. It says in verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. When morning dawns. Eschatologically, the prophetic psalmist is saying a new intensity of help will come. I believe it was the morning of the resurrection of Jesus and his rising to the highest place when, as Simon Peter said, God has poured forth this into the hearts of believers, the Holy Spirit. That's the river in the midst of the habitations of God when morning dawns. Do you know what? Jesus has made it a forever mourning for those who drink of his Spirit. The Spirit had not yet been given when Jesus stood up and said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. As the scriptures say, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And the fruit of the Spirit is joy. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord within us will raise up a standard against the flood. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Emmanuel at the Father's right hand and the helper in the hearts of the people. The powerful flowing river of the Holy Spirit can even in the midst of the storms birth a joy, a supernatural joy as Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord can be your strength. Praise His name. God is. How do we overcome fear with faith? Two Bs. Behold God. Right now, if there was ever a time to fix our eyes on Jesus and to tune out the voices but His... Behold God. God's working right now. Don't give the devil so much credit. God is working. Second be be still and know. It shifts from the psalm. Listen, this, this psalm shifts from the psalmist speaking what the Holy Spirit is saying, and then God himself starts to speak. See that? The psalmist is tracking what the Spirit's giving him the right, and then God says, all right, I'm going to take the mic. (laughs) Be still and know that I am God. I. God's taking over. He walks on the stage, says, "Uh, that was great, but listen, I'm going to grab the mic. You be still and know, I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. Be still doesn't mean to stop doing stuff. It doesn't mean to stop making influence. It actually means stop striving. Hebrew says stop striving. And no. I close with this. We are in fearful, shaking times. And I can't promise you that they're ready to end. But Here's what we need to know. One, God is very present and a very present help. He wants to help you. He wants to put his spiritual strength inside your soul and mine. Get your eyes on the God who is. Number two, God's help is Jesus. Would you say that out loud? God's help is Jesus. If you're with somebody right now, look at them and say, God's help is Jesus. Watch this. There is a set time by God. It's called the times of the Gentiles, the times of the nations. We're still in that. That means the ark door is still open. While Noah moved with holy fear of things not seen by the world, is building his ark to save his family, his friends. We're still in that time. I don't know where we are in it. And from his merciful kindness, anyone and everyone, even the most wretched, can flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. Peter said this, save yourself from a wicked and perverted generation and find salvation under the blood of Jesus. Do you know what? During the Old Testament times, God established six cities throughout the land of Israel and he called them cities. Of refuge. Let me tell you about them. They were set up so that if somebody was guilty of shedding blood that wasn't intentional, they could flee to one of those cities. And God, in His mercy, set up six of them so that there would be one close enough to you. Close enough to you. And the word from God, the Lord of the people of Israel, was this if a person flees to that city the avenger of blood cannot bring justice against that person under blood guilt as long as the priest lives get it God has given us a place of refuge, the city of God where our eternal never dying priest lives and those of us who are guilty of blood guilt what does that mean? The Pharisees said to Simon and James and John, You seek to bring this man's blood on us. Well, his blood is on everybody one or two ways. On me, his blood's on me to wash my sins away, to protect me from evil, and to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. But his blood can be on others, who have yet to say yes and surrender at the foot of the cross. Listen, there is a time that it will end. The time of the offer of grace. And while that time is now, and there's no better time like now, there is no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. the name of Jesus. Jesus is God's help. Run to the city of refuge. And finally, God's river God's river, that's the Holy Spirit. Listen, God's river is the pathway through fear and the pathway home. If you take take a deep walk out into the wild and dark wilderness of this world, like going out into the deep, dark forest, if there is a river walk, all you have to do is stay right by the river If you stay close to the stream, no matter how dark it gets and how wild and weird and wicked, all you have to do is make an about face because God has provided the river to get you back home. The river is inside of you, believer. Let him keep you on the river walk, not by might, not by power by my spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person that needs you right now. I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl that needs you right now. That they would come into the city of refuge for everybody whose world is shaking. That they'd find within them the strength of the power of the Holy Spirit. And not leaning on their understanding, not being overwhelmed by the wind and the waves, would get still and know and that the Holy Spirit would rise up within. I pray for every person right now who needs to, would have the grace to call out and upon the name of Jesus to be saved. Say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I want inside the ark before the rain comes. Lord, make your church strong. Make we preachers courageous and bold and compassionate. And lead people out of darkness into light. Holy Spirit, we ask you to be greatly impacting in the world right now and through your church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.